Hello, it's Vikas Pota, Chairman of the Vaki Foundation. You are listening to a session from our Global Education and Skills Forum, a place where leading politicians, businesses, philanthropists, activists, and of course, the world's best teachers share, debate, and discover new ways for education to transform our world. Keep the global conversation going and share your thoughts on the topics discussed with the hashtag GESF. Now we're going to have the next session called How EdTech Can Galvanize Education in India. And this panel, if we could get the panelists up for this session, uh, this is moderated by Natalia Gavrilita. Big round of applause. Cool. Hi, I'm Natalia Gavrilita. I'm a managing director at the Global Innovation Fund. And it's a privilege to moderate this panel with a coalition of partners and friends. Uh, we're going to speak today about the opportunity that the scaling of personalized and adaptive learning technologies uh, uh, in India uh, presents uh, for the advancement of our understanding of how children learn. And um, I will uh, introduce my panelists and we will give you some background and then if we have some time, I understand we're running late, we will open it to questions. So without further ado, um, uh, Gauri Gupta, who is a director at the Central Square Foundation in India and leads the foundation's work uh, on educational technologies. Sridhar Rajagopalan, who is the co-founder and chief learning officer of educational initiatives. And Shankar Marwada, uh, the co-founder and CEO of XTEP. Um, so to give you a background, the Global Innovation Fund uh, is a charity that mission of which is to scale evidence-based innovations in developing countries. So we are about three things. So one is achieving positive social impact for poor people. Two, about getting evidence of what works and why. And three, achieving scale and reaching millions of people. So it's only natural that education is a very important sector for us. And we all know there is a learning crisis and um, children don't even learn foundational concepts. And the large learning gaps in the classroom can make it very difficult for teachers to teach effectively. So the emergence of personalized and adaptive learning technologies um, shows some promise in terms of helping teachers reach every child. In 2017, we provided funding to Educational Initiatives, uh, which is a company that developed the computer-adapted learning program called MindSpark. And MindSpark had been successfully used in private schools and also had rigorous uh, evaluation that showed uh, learning gains in math and language. So with our funding, MindSpark was taken to low-income students and is now deployed in 80 uh, schools in Rajasthan. So we are quite excited about the early results of this uh, investment. One, the first year evaluation, uh, a randomized controlled trial, again showed and confirmed uh, the uh, progress in learning outcomes in both math and language. And uh, perhaps even more excitedly, um, this is the operational learnings from um, implementing this in government schools is already feeding into uh, the guidance provided by the government of India on uh, procuring personalized and adaptive technologies. And the state of Andhra Pradesh was the first state in India to make a procurement call. Uh, but what we're here to speak about, as excited, exciting as these developments are, and I have a briefing note that I can share to those interested, and you can read about uh, these uh, developments, 
But we actually have an objective that goes beyond that. Um, we think that the, the scale-up uh, of uh, personalized and adaptive technologies can actually provide very rich analytical data about uh, learning and can help us create a body of knowledge about uh, how students learn. So through a so-called science of learning library. Um, so I will ask a couple of questions to try and disentangle sort of all this background information that I provided and try to understand what this science of learning library is. Uh, so I think I'll turn to Shrida first. Um, as I said, MindSpark was successful in private school settings, uh, but when we invested, uh, you just started going to government schools and taking MindSpark to low-income students. And now you are, I think, deploying MindSpark in 185 government schools across six states and reaching 37,000 children. So can you tell us more about sort of what is important about it being personalized and adaptive and what type of data does it provide and why is it important for science of learning? Thank you very much, Neralia. I think that was a very nice introduction that kind of talks about the scope, the, you know, the, what we can achieve, and also uh, the opportunities. You know, it is not just ed tech and the students who use it, but how it can be used and relevant beyond that. So definitely what happens with personalized learning is that you are having children at not just extremely diverse levels of learning, but also at levels of learning which are far below what is expected for that age grade. So, Teachers across the world, I've seen this, you know, have this norm that, okay, you know, we are teaching in grade six, we have to teach grade six material. But what do you do when some of your children are at grade two level, some of them are at grade four level, and how can you address all of them? And this is where we have found that personalized adaptive learning, if it is good at diagnosing these, and if there is an educational research that is backing this, so you say that these are the gaps, these are the skill gaps that need to be addressed, it can provide this very effectively. Uh, this, I think, has been tried in a number of places, and we see this as the first step, the kind of the obvious thing that, that you're doing, where you're kind of trying to get children at the level at which they are. But the advantages flow you know, much beyond this. One of the other advantages that happen from this is that this is able to show both at the level of the classroom, which means the individual teacher, if you have a group of schools, like a cluster or a block, you know, at that level, and at higher levels of aggregation for the state or the country as a whole, where the levels of learning actually are and, and how this is progressing. So this kind of visibility on, on what is happening and, and progress is a, is a big advantage. I mean, to give you a, an even more basic example, you have in many of these situations a challenge of simple things like attendance. You know, are children actually there? And, and you know, are enrollments real? So even information like this is often supportive and helps visibility on this. The second big advantage I'll talk about before passing on to the others is that a number of insights about the kind of gaps that are happening in children's learning. So one of the things that our research is discovering is something which has been tried but has not been researched. You know, if you ask for actual data, it's not always available. Is things like, you know, children's ability on say, uh, very basic skills, like are children able to uh, understand, say, number fluency? Are they able to read three-digit numbers and understand what they are? Are they able to read it fluently? So if you give them a number like 365, they can probably tell you it's 365, but if you had a number of them that they had to do fluently, what is the actual levels of accuracy? And you find that 
these levels tend to be, you'll be surprised, but 10 to 15 times lower than what it should be or what is the expected norm. This is part of what we mean by a science of learning library. We're basically saying that if you take a medical analogy, if you say that, you know, what is normal blood pressure and how many people are, you know, suffering from high blood pressure or having a blood pressure more than this, this is today widely available. You know, you would have it for different demographics, different age groups. But if I were to ask you, you know, what is the level of learning in, in this particular state or this particular area, how are children able to do in, in multiplication or in number fluency or in reading, you'll find that there's a general awareness, but data is not there. So one of the goals of the Science of Learning Library is to make this available publicly, visibly, even to simply start focusing attention on these are the areas that we need to work on. Great, thank you. And Gauri, the Central Square Foundation recognized the opportunity that these sort of blended learning um, models uh, can present for improving learning outcomes in India. So you supported the government of Andhra Pradesh in the procurement call. So why is the scaling important? So how does, um, how does the development sort of in Andhra Pradesh help us get to a science of learning library? Sure. Thanks, Natalia. I think it's a very interesting time for EdTech in India, and it's interesting because we see increasing demand from a lot of governments to deploy EdTech and increasing demand from a few governments to deploy edtech effectively. And Andhra Pradesh was one of the governments who wanted to deploy edtech effectively. There is also the fact that there is going to be near universal penetration of uh, mobile internet, Indian households, right? So there is a pathway where, you know, edtech can actually reach children at home. So I think in, in, in the context of both these demands coming at you know, at the appropriate time, there is a huge opportunity in India. And I think personalized adaptive learning, as has been said, is a great way in which we can almost reach students and issue the, and address the big issue of remediation which exists in India. Um, it becomes imperative to almost operationalize scale up of personalized adaptive learning very effectively. Because what it will do is it will give confidence to governments that they have the capacity to almost scale up some edtech interventions in a way that is uh, effective and is leading to meaningful outcomes. Um, at the same time, um, it's also important that, you know, the bureaucracy sees the value in uh, solutions because they are, you know, putting out budgets for it. One big constraint that we see in India is that only 3% of the schools today have functional ICT infrastructure. Right, and while this uh, percentage is bound to increase over the next few years, the tendency in the governments has been to deploy hardware without any, uh, you know, meaningful solutions. Right, so it's almost the shiny object syndrome which exists in India. And if we can, through operationalizing some of these opportunities at scale, address that issue, then the confidence of, you know, the policymakers in edtech will increase. Right, so that's that's the point I uh, I would like to make. The plan of the Andhra Pradesh government is very ambitious, right? They want to reach almost 2,600 schools and implement personalized adaptive learning in these schools over the next two years. That means almost 250,000 children will be working with solutions on a one-on-one -on -one basis. And the, all that data, right, about how these children are learning, you know, what are the hot spots, what are the difficulties that they're facing, will start getting 
will be available, right? Now, whether it gets collected in one place, you know, is, is on us, right, to figure out how we build out that science of learning library. So in that context, you know, I think there is a huge opportunity to almost collect this data. And I think it's a great starting point to almost create the formats, you know, for which, through which data will get collected. It's a great opportunity to figure out, you know, how different solutions are performing to almost improve the quality of the solutions as we figure out where children are actually struggling. Great, very important points about the effectiveness in schools and quality assurance as, as this is scaled. And Shankar, XTEP has been at the forefront of um, making sure that educational, oh, sorry, that technology uh, really leads to social impact, and one of the things that XTEP does is host the government platform for teachers, Diksha, that uh, allows them to access uh, teaching uh, materials. Uh, and you have undertaken now to host the Science of Learning Library as well. So what, what, what is it? What does it look like in practice? And what do we have to keep an eye on for the near future? Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, XTEP Foundation is a very young philanthropic organization. We are an implementing philanthropic organization. So we don't uh, make grants, we use that to develop technology and uh, to create what we call as public digital infrastructure. This is technology that we create and we put it out there for anyone to use free of cost. Use it, extend it, modify it. Right? One of those users is the government of India and a program which began around 18 months ago called Diksha, which is short for Digital Infrastructure for Knowledge Sharing, is a national teacher program uh, which runs on a technology platform which uses the free infrastructure which we provide. It's called Sunbird, sunbird.org. So the government of India has a program which is on uh, Sunbird. This Diksha platform in this academic year is reaching seven out of the 36 states of India, Andhra Pradesh being one of them. So with a potential reach of around 50 million children and around a million and a half teachers, that is this year, the first academic year after launch. Next year, that number is going up to 28 states. And by next year, I mean this June, July of 2019. And, uh, uh, and the year after that, likely around 220 million children. The point is, Diksha is creating national digital highways of learning in India, which means high quality content, personalized solutions can all ride on top of this highway. And Andhra Pradesh is experimenting already with a personalized adaptive learning solution. So when you're thinking of edtech at scale, it is different from looking at a solution that works, an app, a portal, a website that works, and then scaling that to 200 million. You need to think about the underlying standards of data interoperability. Uh, what is the way in which various systems can talk to each other? How can the same underlying uh, platform, in this case, the government of India's platform, can be used by multiple states? What are some of the data sharing concerns that they would have? So that, those are the focus areas of XTEP Foundation. And now we are partnering with Central Square Foundation, uh, MindSpark Education Initiative, uh, GIF, and many others to see how can we look at scaling up a lot of the PAL solutions that exist. There's some wonderful work, but the challenge is how do you scale up? While 
uh, Sridhar and many others are real experts in this. This is not our expertise. Our expertise is to understand what should be the data exchange protocols so that government systems can share learning data without sharing data of the children. That's a big care of the government at population scale. Right? So those are some of the problems that we are solving through the AP pilot. And once those protocols and standards are created, any state is free to use them in a way that the state owns the data, yet the personalized solution providers can uh, provide the solutions, get the data on effectiveness, and keep improving the solutions. And importantly, the government has the option of looking at multiple solution providers and not be locked into any one. So it's exciting times, uh, and we're really looking forward to doing a lot of work on this in the next two years. Thank you. And you mentioned about all the complex issues around data intero interoperability, but more importantly, there are even issues about sort of how do we think about foundational concepts? What is the taxonomy of um, sort of the key learning concepts and then what are the key misperceptions? Uh, so uh, how will this sort of like a use from a user perspective, uh, you know, who are the users and how can they interact yeah. with uh, the learnings that all this rich data is providing? Excellent question. So let's say MindSpark has got a lot of data and insights around, let's say, fractions are a, a blind spot. Fractions are a difficult concept, right? They need to put it somewhere. That somewhere is science of learning. But science of learning library is not necessarily something that is owned by any one of us. It is a public good where MindSpark publishes onto it that here are my learnings in a structured manner that fraction in Andhra Pradesh, we finding problems at grades five, six, and four. Now, someone else could then consume that data in a structured manner, right? The advantage of the underlying standards is they know that this problem was discovered in Andhra Pradesh by MindSpark. So if someone puts data out there, which is not trusted, right? then there is no credibility to it. Others need not use it. This does not, so MindSpark does not need to convince everybody. Not everybody has to be in a room like this to say, what have you learned? What have you published? Simple analogy is how stock markets uh, work, right? In the olden days, you go into a room and you say, I want to buy this share, I want to sell this share. It was all physical. Now you digitally broadcast that I want to sell this share and somebody catches it and says that, okay, I want to buy that share. So that's how we're looking at it as a digital space, as a digital library, where anyone can publish, anyone can consume, but there are credibility or credentials attached to various pieces of content. So that you, it's not too different from how you buy things on Amazon. You don't know the seller, but you see ratings of others, and then you consume a book. In this case, you will consume a piece of knowledge or insight or data. That's the thinking now. Next six months, we should make a lot more progress on that. Great, one more follow-up question and then maybe I'll open up to um, the audience for five minutes. Um, but uh, Shrida, I know you've already started working on some products. So can you give us some early insights and then how does this compare with sort of the body of knowledge that exists out there in the world? I mean, we, know, we have learned a lot about uh, sort of learning trajectories and individualized pathways. How does this sort of add to the global body of knowledge? Yeah. A great question, and I'm just going to build on what Shankar already said and Natalia pointed us to. So, 
you know, if you look at uh, medicine and doctors, if you go back about 80 or 90 years, you, and you were not well, you would go to a doctor, and this doctor would then do something, diagnose you. Typically, they, would, they wouldn't actually do a formal test like we do today, but they would ask you questions. Maybe they would look at your tongue. And then they would actually formulate medication and give it to you. Right? So you would get a bottle from the doctor with instructions on having it. It didn't have a name. You could not go to a different chemist. If you went to a different doctor, he would need to understand what was the thing. The doctor kind of did the whole thing. There was no ecosystem as such. And he actually and hopefully cured you. In fact, a lot of research now shows that he probably was not going to be very successful in, in curing you because a lot of the things that we know today and the forms of diagnosis do not exist. Now, what happens today? Today, if you're not well, you go to a doctor. The doctor might prescribe a test. You take that sheet of paper or maybe electronic thing and go to any lab. That lab will perform the test. You can actually go back to a different doctor who knows what was the test and what the result was with, and he's able to prescribe a medication to you. You take that medication to any chemist anywhere, anywhere in the world, mind you, and they can give you the medication for it. Right? So this ecosystem exists, but why does it exist? It exists because this common language exists that all these different people are able to use. Now, does this work in education? Suppose you take your school test marks and you say, I got 13 on 20 on the fractions test in my school. Can you take it to an edtech software that understands what this 13 on 20 means? First of all, is 13 on 20 a meaningful thing at all? Right, can I, if in case you are taking the help of a private tutor, if you are kind of getting help online, why are you not able to meaningfully learn? Why is somebody else not able to diagnose and give you that, that, that you know, remove the gap that exists in your learning? Many reasons, but the primary one is that this language does not exist. What are the skills in fractions? What is the typical expectation of a grade five child in that particular skill? Is it solvable? Is it an easy problem to solve? Frankly, we don't know. You know, so if you look, and we've also looked at how these things developed in, in medicine. But this is the basic vision. And you know, Natalia asked about early progress. So for example, one of the things that we are finding is that learning levels, if you look at very low grades, you look at children up to grade three and four, it's becoming very clear that the kind of basic skills that children need to acquire uh, are not necessarily the same as what is kind of overtly conveyed in the class. And very often what happens is that children move on because of time, right? You have to start learning, you start doing multiplication. You may not have acquired the, the basic skills. So what we have now started getting is actual data on those skills, what they are, based a lot on global research. So that's where the global research has been, uh, you know, something that we are just building on. But then actual data, actual levels of what are the what are the, the benchmarks that we need to achieve, how does it differ in different places. And the idea is to make this publicly available so everybody can say that one, these are the skills, two, this is where we are, and three, these are the ways that we can improve them. So it's a, it's a long journey, but I think we are making important steps towards that. I almost feel sorry for my son because I think if there was a lot of ed tech when I went to school, there would have been some subjects where there would have been some gaps. <laughs> so now we're going to know the gaps <laughs> in specific concepts and specific subjects. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so I'll just use five minutes to um, open it up if you have questions in the public. Thank you. Um, a question about MindSpark. 
Um, a lot of learning happens on a social interaction basis as well. When you have children in a classroom and everyone is at a different level, is a social element still present? Uh, is it still encouraged? Yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll answer that question. So you're absolutely right. In fact, one of the experiments, I'll just give you an example to talk about this kind of social or collaborative learning. So, you know, actually due to a constraint, which is, you know, hardware constraint, we got into a situation where children actually had to work collaboratively in, in groups, typically of two, and we actually found that learning improved uh, because of that. But yes, so uh, uh, there are a number of mechanisms through which this kind of collaborative learning, social learning, or working with a group of children actually turns out to be more effective because the role of peers in this kind of learning turns out to be equally or even more effective sometimes than the teacher who's giving this. However, what we are talking about here primarily with the science of learning is, you know, what are those skills, what are those concepts that children have to learn? But in practice, when these solutions are being used, the role of social or peer or collaborative learning is extremely important. Thank you. I also, go. sorry, oh, just yes, add, yes, and I don't think MindSpark or any solution is being, uh, it's, it's not exclusive. It's not to say that children are only learning through tech, right? So it's always a blended model. So, I mean, in a, and, uh, in a uh, class, there would be around two periods okay. which would be dedicated okay. to uh, technology, and in, in the other classes, it would be, uh, you know, not learning as it goes. Yeah. Excellent point. Thank you. Uh, yeah, okay, there was, uh, the, this was the social aspect. I was wondering with all that attack, if we have children with, because we talk about abilities and acquirement of skills, but we all know that not every child is the same. And so how does ad technology respect the fact that maybe my son is not the fastest and he cannot acquire the certain uh, standard that is needed or wanted at that age? What, what, what do you do regarding that? I mean, every child is different. And then, but then the state says, okay, you need to acquire that level at that age. This is the ad technology. Who does supervise it? Who does help the child? It's not the technology. Then we come back to the teacher, right? Because maybe, I don't know, you name it. You, know, you give the math, uh, example of fractions, right? I mean, we all know, okay, fractions uh, at the age of seven or six, eight, nine, ten in the grade one or six, you need to know and be able to. Yeah. But if the child is maybe not on the same or has, I don't want to use the word difficulties because that's easily used and miss. So I don't know. Do you get I my question? I think we understand the question. Um, yeah, you do? Okay. Gauri, do you want to address the foundational concepts? Yes. Uh, and um, so I think. The idea with personalized adaptive learning is to allow for a child to create his or her own learning path, right? And that's the beauty of the solution. Because in, in the classroom, the teacher will I mean, move as per the pace of you know, the average class and will be more inclined to, you know, in India particularly, to just finish the curriculum, right? So in that context, what personalized adaptive learning allows children to do is it diagnoses what the learning level of the child is, right? And allows the child to create or move as per their own learning path. So I think that's that's the uh, solution. And in addition, teachers are able to figure out, you know, where the class is, right? Where different groups of students are. And in an ideal situation, they will be able to actually cater to the diversity in the classroom. Can I well, still we'll add on? I don't know if I. May. Sorry, okay. we were running out of time and we have one more question. But the, uh, you, 
feel free to discuss after the session. Go okay. In the last session, Charles from this told that instead of UK, he needed to go to abroad to Philippines and to the US. Now, if any of the startups here in the audience decided to pursue the India market, what would your, your advice to be? Is it possible for startups to enter India market from outside? And if yes, then how would you address that? Yeah, a clear answer to that would be yes. And that's part of building the uh, infrastructure so that anybody can plug in. We know that's how technology grows, right? You are agnostic to the source of the content. But so in this case, what could happen is, uh, let's say, uh, Finland Adaptive Solution Provider could say that my solution works well with, say, mathematics at higher grades, right? And uh, uh, offer their solution for testing in a way that the results of the tests uh, did improve from baseline or not would be made available in a transparent manner, right? Not just to the government, but also to the provider. And therefore, the government could choose from a range of providers wherever they are, subject to them meeting the curricular needs of each state. So, uh, answer is yes. We still haven't figured out the exact details, but that's the direction in which uh, this is going. So, I think we've run out of time. Uh, so, feel free to come to us after the panel, but I'll uh, make like a consultant and say three takeaways. So we, we will have very rich data emerging from the scale up of PAL solutions in India. Um, this will allow us to uh, have learnings about the taxonomy of key concepts and most basic misunderstandings and most effective remediation mechanisms and teaching. Uh, and then three, this will be useful for the entire ecosystem. So it can be used by teachers to improve teaching. It can be used by content providers to think about which areas to turn their attention to. And then policymakers to understand the learning gaps across geographies and across uh, different groups and make decisions based on the evidence. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you.